All right, we got any overcomers in the house today? Come on, we just sang the name of Jesus in this place today. Like there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. If you believe that, can you give the Lord a big round of applause today? Come on. Man, I believe that today. I want to welcome both of our campuses today here at Noonan and in LaGrange. I want to say thank you for worshiping with us today. And if you're worshiping with us online, I want to welcome you as well. We're in week three of our series called Overcomer. You overcame your alarm clock. You're here today. Like some of you, you overcame the loss of your football team yesterday. You're good. Some of you found a quarterback you overcame, right? Any Bulldogs excited about their new quarterback? <laughs> I knew I'd hear something about that today, so glad that you're here today. Last couple of weeks, we've been talking about things in our life that we have to overcome. Everybody's going to have to overcome some things in their life. This idea that somehow God put me on this planet and I'm not going to face challenges and difficulties. And then people tell us this, the people say, well, man, if you just give your life to Christ and become a Christian, everything will be rosy. Uh, that is not true. That is just not true. That's false. In fact, I want to say this. I think the more you lean into Jesus, you may face more troubles, more trials, more difficulties in your life, but God gives us the power to overcome. And so uh, I'm so excited for this message. Yesterday, or actually two weeks ago, I preached on overcoming labels, the lies of our labels, that in our life, people put labels on us, or worse, we put labels on ourselves, and we have to overcome the lies of labels. Last week, we talked about overcoming the epidemic of apathy. We struggle with apathy in our life because we see so much around us that we struggle with TMI, too much information in our life, and we don't know how to process it all. Let's be, let's be serious. Like some of you last week, you, thought, you actually thought yesterday the world was going to end, Right? Let's be honest. <laughs> Some of you are like, hey, I'm at church today. God's good. Now, listen, I would be okay if Jesus came back yesterday. I'm ready. I'm ready for Jesus to come back. And you say, well, do you think we're in the end times? I do. I think we're in the end times. I think God's preparing the world for his return. And I want to tell you right now that God wants us as Christians to be overcomers because he wants us to lead other people to know him. And the greatest way we help other people know Jesus is through overcoming through the blood of our lamb. And I'm just excited about that today, so if you can't tell. So today we're going to talk about overcoming a very, very important thing, because I think this is one, whether we want to admit it or not, we all struggle with it. I want to talk about overcoming the curse of comparison. I want to talk about overcoming the curse of comparison. Now, real quickly, I want you to look at the people on your left and on your right. Just do that real quick, as awkward as it may sound, okay? LaGrange, do that if you would. Online, do that. Look at your person sitting next to you on your couch, okay? Whether you realize it or not, you just took a snapshot of the person beside you and compared something about that person to yourself. See, we live in a world full of comparisons. Let's be honest. We watch and compare ourselves to others what others have, what we have, what we think others do, what we think we do, what others look like, what we think we look like, we struggle with comparison. Now, I don't know if you remember this moment or not. It happened in our last Olympics, but to me, th this is the art of comparison right here. Michael Phelps, world-class swimmer, right? All these gold medals. And this dude from Brazil got in the lane at the last Olympics. And this was the snapshot, other than a few other crazy things that happened in Brazil. Uh, this is the snapshot of what we remember about our last Olympics. 
that this world-class athlete is in this lane with this other world-class athlete in the beginning of a race that was so defining to Michael Phelps' career. This guy looks over in the other lane and wants to know, where am I in light of him? Where am I in light of them? We spend a lot of our life doing that. We watch each other. We don't always want to admit it, but we're affected greatly by how we compare ourselves to each other. See, there's a curse in comparison. There's a curse in comparing yourself to someone else. In fact, let me say it this way. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. The fastest way to kill something special is just to compare it to something else. What happens is we end up putting an asterisk by things in our life because we compare it to something that someone else did, something we saw somewhere else. I mean, think about it this way. All of you men, you think you live in the greatest house on the planet, right? Because you do all the handiwork, you mow the yard, you paint the house, and then your wife turns on HGTV and watch Chip and Joanne Gaines. (laughs) I wanna make an announcement to the men in this room today. You're not Chip Gaines. I need to make it to the women in the room. (laughs) You didn't marry Chip. You married Bob and Larry and Harry. And he can't even spell shiplap. He doesn't even understand demo day. Okay, he's trying to get through Monday. (laughs) But let's be honest, we get a house and our house is amazing till our friends call us and say, hey, I got this house. I want you to come see it. You go over to your friend's house and suddenly you're like, oh man, my house is horrible, right? We love our new car until we see our other friend buy their new car and it's a year newer with more technology and a few bells and whistles that ours don't have, but it still has four tires and four wheels and a motor. And yet we kill something special when we compare it to something else. See, here's what I've learned. When comparison begins, contentment ends. When comparison begins in our life, contentment ends. I think most of us in the world, we want to be content. We want to have something in our life that says, man, when I lay my head on my pillow, I just feel this this sense of contentedness in my life. But when we start comparing, the moment we start comparing, contentment ends in our life. It's never been easier in the world to compare ourselves to other things and other people. Why? Because we see everything everyone does all the time. Through television, social media, mass communications, we always know who just got to take that amazing vacation. And we go, oh, this is their third time to go to Cancun this year. Oh, my life's horrible. (laughs) All right? Or or we see their kids and we go, oh, my kid kid didn't make honor roll. My my kid only made a 3.0. And somehow 3.0 seems not good enough when our kid doesn't seem to compare to everyone else's kid. See, we see everyone else. and, and, And I love this one. We look at each other's houses. We look at each other's cars. We look at each other's stuff. I love this one. We look at each other's weddings. Oh, they had the perfect wedding. No, they didn't. They had mosquitoes, just like you did. But nobody, the photographer doesn't walk around going, look at these mosquitoes. Look at, look at this. Look at how hot it was. Look at how the cake's leaning, you know? We only show the perfect thing. And what happens is we take the same picture 
that other people post and then we compare ourselves against it. I like what Stephen Furtick said. He said this, the problem with social media is we are comparing our behind the scenes with someone else's highlight reel. So I used to live near Disney. I may have said this a few weeks ago. I used to live near Disney and Disney was amazing the first few years I lived near Orlando. But in the third year, I started seeing all the magic erode. I started seeing where they kept all the dumpsters, where all the railings get painted every night. And we do the same thing with our life. We compare our behind the scenes with what we see as someone else's highlight reel. Paul spoke to this. Paul said, hey, we shouldn't compare ourselves to others. He even spoke to the Corinthian church about this. Look what he says. He says, but they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as a standard of measurement. And then I love what Paul says in this translation. How ignorant. How ignorant. We do it a lot with our own spirituality, with our own faith, with our own Christianity. We look at each other many times and we go, I wonder how religious she is compared to me. God must love me more. I've been to church more than her. I am a less sinner. I am sinner less than her, right? (laughs) Guys, listen, none of that matters. Every time we compare ourselves, one or two things happen in our life. Here's what happens. Comparing makes you feel either superior or inferior and neither honors God. Comparing yourself to another person or another thing only makes you feel superior or inferior. And neither brings honor to God. And so we struggle. We struggle with this comparison piece. We struggle to understand it. Andy Stanley says it this way, when we struggle to compare, we all want the land of Ur. What is the land of Ur? Well, he says this, he says, when we start comparing things, nobody wins. No one wins through comparisons. Everybody just wants the land of Ur. Instead of being rich, we want to be rich Ur. Instead of saying I'm cool, I want to be cool Ur. Instead of being smart, I want to be smart Ur. Instead of saying, hey, you're really pretty, what do we want to be? We want to be pretty You're exactly right. That's my struggle right there. She said it right there. I'm just going to call it out. My problem is I don't want to be er. I want est. I want est. I want to be pretty est. I want to be smart est. I want to be fast est. I want to be rich est. I want to be the most significant est. That's not even a word. But when you preach, you can make stuff up. Words fly out of your mouth. Here's what we want. We want to outshine, outperform, outwit, outlast everybody else because at the end of the day, when we start comparing ourselves to each other, nobody wins. And you know who ends up losing most? It's not the person we're comparing ourselves to, but us. I want you to turn in your Bible to the book of John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to be looking in the gospel of John today. I often think that the disciples, we see them as superheroes, but I think many times we need to remember they're just as normal and human as we are. They had some of the same faults and hangups. In fact, can you imagine of all the disciples that followed Jesus, some of the infighting that went on between the disciples? There must have been some real competition 
that maybe happened. And, and, and if, if you really want to be honest, I think between two individuals, I think there probably was some real comparison maybe at times. Peter and John. Remember Peter? Like the guy that walked on water. Jesus comes walking. He says, I ain't even going to let Jesus get to the boat. I'm just going to get out of the boat and walk, okay? Peter was always putting himself out there. And then there's John. Now, the thing about John is John would refer to himself in third person. Now, that's a little awkward. (laughs) Here's why that's awkward. Imagine your spouse referring to themselves in third person. It would sound something like this. I'm your wife, the one of whom you love, okay? He would refer to himself in third person. And I think at times maybe that would come across as being a little annoying if you think about it to Peter. All throughout the Bible, these people were real people. They had real struggles. These disciples, they weren't superheroes. They were just like you and I. I mean, even Moses. Moses, one time in Scripture, referred to himself as the most humble person on the planet. (laughs) Come on, Moses. You saw God in a burning bush. How can that keep you humble? Okay? You split the Red Sea open with a staff. Tell me how that's going to make you humble among your friends, okay? It just ain't going to happen. But I think even the disciples, they must have struggled with this. There must have been some competition between Peter and John. And and I want to show you one of those instances about how comparison can affect us. So Sunday morning, after the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, on Sunday morning, the Bible says that something amazing happened, that Mary Magdalene ran to the tomb and she saw for the first time that the tomb was empty. So she goes back and gets the disciples, begins to tell the disciples, Jesus is alive. We don't know where they've taken him. We don't know if they've taken his body, but Jesus is alive. And here's what I want you to do, because this is John's gospel. It's John's perspective. I want you to notice how many times John compares himself to Peter in this passage. It's almost kind of comedic says in John chapter 20, these words, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from in the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. Who's he referring to? He's referring to himself. That's weird, John. I'm just going to say that, okay? The one Jesus loved. And said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple, John, you're talking about yourself, bro, started for the tomb. So think about it this way. Two men comparing each other. All of a sudden, Mary says, he's alive. Boom, the race is on. Both were running. But the other disciple, John, outran Peter. And reach the tomb where? First. (laughs) He bent over and he looked at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying there in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, (laughs) whom had reached the tomb first... also went inside and he saw and believed. So some of y'all are too religious, okay? Because you've grown up in church all your life. You don't think that God has a sense of humor by allowing this to be written in his word. But he's trying to help us understand comparison is real. 
Comparison is real. He went inside and he saw and believed. Wow, what, what a moment, right? Like he goes inside and, and Jesus is alive. And at the end of that discourse, John is still telling us, I saw him first. I got there first. I'm first. So what happened? Well, after the resurrection, the Bible tells us in John chapter 21, Peter decides he's gonna go back to fish. So he goes back to the north side of the Sea of Galilee and he starts fishing again. And all of a sudden, they're like fishing, but they're not catching anything. And so a guy says, hey, throw the net on the other side of the boat. He throws it on the other side of the boat. And all of a sudden, John sees Jesus. (laughs) And what does John do? He tells us in his gospel exactly what he does. He sees Jesus first and calls it out. He says, it's the Lord. Right, reader, it's like right there in John 21. He says, I saw him first. And this is the part of the scripture I think is really hilarious. Peter didn't want to be outdone. It's like, okay, you may see Jesus first, but I'm going to get to Jesus first. The Bible tells us he jumps out of the boat and he swims to where Jesus was. Cloak and all. Why? Because see, whether we realize it or not, we're just like Peter and John. There's a part of us, we always want to compare ourselves to each other. And one of the things we have to overcome in our life is the curse of comparison. But what ensues after that is pretty amazing. Because the Bible says, Jesus takes them up on shore, he starts cooking them breakfast, and all of a sudden, Peter has this amazing encounter with Jesus. See, Peter had denied Jesus three times. You think he didn't feel like a failure? But the Bible says that he walked up to him and they're sitting by this fire and and like Peter and Jesus are having this moment and the other disciples over here and Jesus asked him this question, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yeah, I love you. And Jesus said, no, no, Peter, do you love me? (laughs) Peter said, yeah, Jesus, I love you. You know me, I'm, 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 I'm out there with you. I'll walk on water for you, Jesus. And then Jesus used another word for love. It's the word agape. Third time he asked him, he says, Peter, do you really agape me? Do you love me? And I'm sure at that point, Peter was like, man, Jesus totally got in my grill. (laughs) And he looks back at him and he says, Jesus, I love you. And he said, then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. You see, What happens at this moment is quite crazy because we see another instance. It's found in John 21, verse 22, or 20, actually. John 21, 20, Peter turned. Right after he says, Jesus, I love you, Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. You ever had a nemesis in your life? (laughs) Like every time she comes around, my life is so different, right? Every time he comes around, it's like he's better than me. He calls it out right here. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus was following him. This was the one, John says it again. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? John just wanted us to know that. And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? So get this, Peter and Jesus, Jesus is reinstating Peter and all of a sudden he looks over his shoulder and he sees the disciple whom Jesus loved, who was also there with Jesus at the time when he asked Jesus, who's going to betray you? And all of a sudden, 
Peter asks this question, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. That's powerful. See, at that moment, here's what Jesus was saying to Peter. He was saying, Peter, I just want you to follow me. Your job is to feed my sheep. You're going to be the head of the church. I mean, we know that Jesus even said earlier on in Matthew 16, he said, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. And the gates of hell won't stand against it. He already knew what Jesus's intent was, but he's still looking around comparing himself. And Jesus says, Peter, here's your one goal. Here's what should break the curse of comparison over our lives. You must follow me. And here's what that means. We can't faithfully follow Jesus if we're always comparing ourselves to someone else. I don't know how much of my life I spent asking, Lord, what about him? What about her? What about them? Right? I see some of y'all shaking your head today. You know what I'm talking about. We spend a lot of our Christianity in our life comparing ourselves and getting into this game. And then we wonder why we feel overcome or overwhelmed in our life. And it's because we can't fully follow Jesus as long as we compare ourselves to somebody else. If we're going to faithfully follow Jesus, we can't compare ourselves. There's differences. God hadn't called you to the same thing that he's called someone else. God hasn't called you to walk the journey that you've been called to walk. We spend our lives asking, why are they richer than me? Why are they living where they're living? Always looking over our shoulder And I want to tell you why we do this today. And this is where God's going to break some of us free. Here's why we do this today. There is no amount of external wins that can make up for the internal insecure longing we all have. The day that sin entered this world and we were born into sin, we have this internal longing and it's like a natural affiliation to us to say, I must compare myself to someone else, to something else. And so here's what we try to do. We try to find our significance through external wins. I have the biggest house on the block. I have the fastest car It's why we chase the ers and the est in our life. And and I want to say this to you today. There's no amount of external accomplishment, blessing, or even external relationships that can overcome the internal spiritual longing that you have. Because you're always going to want the er and the est. And there's not enough ers and the est in this world to satisfy us. There's not enough money. There's not enough followers on Facebook. There's not enough attention someone can show you. There's not enough likes on your posts. There's not enough popularity you have. There's not enough success. We're always left feeling like there's not enough. And then we end up looking outside to try and fix what's going on on the inside of us. That's why we look to others and we ask these questions a lot. Do I make you proud? Some of you have spent your whole life trying to get your parents to say they're proud of you. We say things like, do I make you proud? Am I good enough? Do I belong? 
Will you accept me? Do I measure up to your standard? I mean, we're almost like a performance monkey. <laughs> Go, little monkey. Sorry, I just had that thought in my mind. Third cup of coffee does it to me every time. There's not enough. Am I accepted by you? Do I measure up to you? We look to our dad or to our mom or to our spouse or to our friends and and to our boss and and to the people around us and say, will you approve me? Because if you approve me, somehow I will be worth it to somebody. And I want to say this to you today. There's not enough external winds in this world that can take care of the internal insecure longing we all have that only Jesus Christ can fill. So at some point we have to ask this question. Who or what is going to define my worth? Who or what is going to define my worth? If a bank is the only person that defines your worth, you're going to struggle. If the approval of your dad on a sports field is the only one that's going to determine your worth, how many touchdowns you score, how many state titles you win, how many rings you have, if that's going to, if you think that's going to determine your worth, you've got to decide who or what is going to define your worth. So I want to tell you a story today. I felt impressed to do this right before I walked up, so I love it when God calls the audible. Friday night I got home and something had broken in my house and so I called a service technician. I knew the moment I placed the call, the Lord said, when that dude comes to your house, you're supposed to minister to him. And I just had this thought in my mind, God, are you allowing something to break so that I can help somebody in the Lord? Yeah, yeah, I am. Got up the next morning, the guy calls me, says, I can't make it to your house. My car broke down. I'm going to send another guy. And so I was like, okay, maybe it's the other guy. Maybe I don't know, Lord. The guy shows up, takes care of the issue, leaves. The only problem is when he takes care of the issue, there's a fuse blown in whatever he fixed. And so he fixed it, but he really didn't fix it because there was a little fuse blown. So the original guy still had his cell number on my cell phone. I call him and say, hey, I know this sounds weird, but the system's not working. I don't have the other guy's number. Could you help me? He said, yeah, I'll be at your house in 45 minutes. Pulls up at my house, gets out of the car, comes up, helps me fix the issue very quickly. And while he's fixing it, he says to me, I really felt like the Lord wanted me to come here today. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I really did too. And he proceeded to tell me that most of his life, because of difficult things he had gone through, struggles with his own father, struggles with things growing up, issues of what we would call worldly things like poverty and just some very difficult set of circumstances in his life. That he was at a point in his life where he didn't understand why things were still the way they were, but he knew Jesus, he knew the Lord, but he wasn't walking in victory. The moment he said that, the Lord said, Sean, I just want you to stop right here and I want you to minister to this guy and I want you to tell him who he is. 
And I looked over at him and I said, listen, all the things that you've tried to fix in your life, all the external wins that you've looked for can't take care of the internal insecure. You may be saved and going to heaven and Jesus lives inside of you, but you're not walking in the fullness of victory. And I don't know who or what has happened to you in your life, but I wanna tell you something today. God didn't leave you as an orphan. The day he saved you, he made you a son. Man, we prayed right there in my living room. I laid hands on him and I prayed, God, would you break the spirit of orphan off this man's life? And I'm telling you, I don't know what happened, but God did something and we got up and I looked at his face and he was like a brand new person. And that moment, he decided who was gonna define his worth. There is no amount of external winds that can fix an internal longing. There's not the fast enough, the big enough, the strong enough. And I don't know where you're at in your faith today. I don't even know if you're a true follower of Jesus or not, but I just wanna tell you this. There's only one way that that chain will be broken off of your life. You've gotta let Jesus define your worth. Some of you walked into here and you're still living like an orphan. An orphan lives in fear. An orphan lives afraid. An orphan's like, I don't know where I really belong here. I don't know who I am. So we look to external things to try to tell us who we are. And I just want to say this to you. God wants you to be an overcomer. And here's what he wants you to know about who he is today. If Jesus Christ lives inside of you, you're not an orphan. You're a son and you're a daughter. And you need to quit focusing on all the things that you think are contributing to your failure and focus on who God says you truly are. You're an overcomer. Listen, I I didn't need somebody else to get on the TV this week and say, hey, Jesus may be coming back. You better get your affairs in order. You know, we got crazy stuff going on in the world. And, 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 And we live in all this fear of, oh, what's gonna happen? Jesus, come on back. I'm ready. I want you. You saved me. 17 years of age, you set me free from my sin. I'm not an orphan, Jesus. You love me. I'm your son. You called me child of God. (laughs) And so I want to say this today. Somebody's here living in the chain of comparison. The chain, we sang it earlier. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. The chains of comparison have held you captive for so long. I started thinking about that. You know how chains are broken? One of three ways. Either by fire, by force, or by friction. Fire comes and it melts the the steel. It gets so hot that it it just melts it away. Force. A chain, as good as it is, can only handle so much force because eventually if the force is greater than the strength of the chain, it will be broken. And then there's friction because friction's my favorite. That's when you just wear the chain out. Let me tell you what Jesus Christ did for us. He hung on a cross and love burned the chains away. He went to a grave The power of the Holy Spirit brought him out of the grave and the force of resurrection broke that chain. 
and then there's friction. The Bible says that Jesus Christ ever lives to intercede for us. Jesus has already worn the chains out. Let me ask you a question. Why are you still wearing the chains? Jesus came to set the captives free. The curse of comparison doesn't have to dominate our lives when the grace of Jesus Christ has broken every chain. Let's pray together today.